Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. You ready to hear from Nehemiah? All right. We are in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Just listen to the reading. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxas, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? There is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it please the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then you should send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Mm -hmm. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him a time. Mm -hmm. I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the walls of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I had asked, for the good hand of, the God, of, of God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by a fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went out in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone and what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. 
Then, and I told them with the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Amorite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we honor your word. We thank you for the power of your word to transform lives, to change us from the inside, to deal with issues of the heart, and to transform us into the likeness of Christ, to help us to love one another, to serve one another, to serve the city in which you have entrusted upon us. I thank you, Lord, for who you are in our lives. Your grace is upon us. We witness the mercy of God every time we come to worship. And this morning, I pray as we worship, as we hear your words, continue to build your throne, the throne of heaven to come here on earth, to be established among us. I pray today that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll speak to us through this book. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Here is a man called Nehemiah. If you look at Nehemiah 2, he is a man of God. He finds himself in this foreign land like all of us here today. And he's in a foreign land because he can go back on for a long time, at least over 70 years now, the Jews have been living in exile. So already a remnant had already gone back to Jerusalem to work out what to do in establishing the city again. Under when you read Ezra, it tells you that they went back because Cyrus, the king of Persia, released the people of God and told them to go back. And he issued a degree, decree to say, go back and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, that is in Judea. And now we fast forward that many years later, here is a man who had been serving and this pagan god uh, king. He has been spending time with this pagan king. He had not gone back with the rest of the people of God. He has remained behind. He has a great job, and he's sitting there with the king. But when people came from Jerusalem, those who had gone to Jerusalem before, and they come to him to report what's happening, he's interested, and he says to them, tell me what's going on. They say, Jerusalem is lying in ruins. It's not established I know you know, Nehemiah, that people many years ago went back when they were released by Cyrus, but nothing had happened, and nothing up to this far has happened. And that broke his heart. He had godly anguish in him because he cares so much for the church of God that he will not rest until it's established, until it's built. Did I say the church of God? Yes, the church of God. And from the time that he was informed that Jerusalem has not been built yet, 
to this time that we are reading now, Nehemiah 2, is probably about 100 days. And now, this man has a plan. But the reason he wants to go back is because it does not make sense for a Jew in a Jew's mind that Jerusalem would be lying in ruins. Why? Because number one, Jerusalem was a place where they did family. Remember even before the time of Moses that God had spent time gathering his people. They went from 12 people, which were the sons of Jacob, and they grew and multiplied, and there were 70. They found themselves later in Egypt. And while they were in Egypt, God raised a man who was going to set them free from the power of the Egyptian king. And the, the Pharaoh was able to release them. They were set free, and they spent time in the wilderness. Because up until now, they are not established as a family. And they're looking to go to a place where they can have their own land and have, for the first time, a family home. For those who own houses here, you know how it feels like when you suddenly, all of a sudden, get your own home established. And this is it. They live in a foreign land. But for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness, working out what the future could look like for them, the whole mission paused for at least about 40 years while they thought they would, it would just take about a year or so perhaps to get to the promised land. 40 years delay. And then eventually under jo Joshua, they make it to the promised land. Imagine that. Sweat, tears, toil, struggle to be able to finally get to Jerusalem. And they have to clear the rubble. What kind of rubble? The people who were living there so that they might inherit this place. And now it belongs to them, and they can establish a temple, they can serve and worship God, but we pick up later. They ended up in exile. And while in exile, God in his power, the one who has the ability to set us free from all things that the shackles around us, he set them free. And now, eventually, they were able to go back to establish and build a house for the Lord to restore the temple and to restore the city because Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrians before him had come to destroy Jerusalem. And now the opportunity is coming for them to go and establish their family again. Exile for them meant that they are not living in their homes. Exile for them meant they don't even know who they are. Exile for them meant that they're just wanderers. Exile for them meant that they were lost. Exile for them meant that the bones of Joseph, that Joseph had instructed, even Hebrews 12 tells us by faith that those bones should be taken to, 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 to be to be buried in, in Jerusalem, they were left there and the people were in exile. And they say, we want to go back to where our ancestors are buried. We want to spend our time there because that's where we belong. He wasn't just wanting to go to some place. Nehemiah wanted to go back home, to go back to a family. The family of God, the greatest family on the face of the earth. God put together his family to be the means by which all families of the earth 
will come to know Jesus. That this family were a special family. And all of a sudden, they found themselves scattered everywhere. And God is working in his infinite power and plan to restore and bring back together this family of God. And that's why he has this anguish. He, he has this burden in his heart. And he's burning to go and really build the house of God. So that the family can be now, for the first time in a long time, generations, they can now for the first time say, we are the people of Jerusalem. And now I want to say this. The church, the church is not just a place where we hang out. The church is not a place where we spend time on a Sunday, Friday. I'm practicing the Sunday thing because I'm speaking, speaking this Sunday, and I don't want to keep saying Friday. And then I'm speaking that Sunday. I don't want to keep saying Friday and the Sunday after. So I'm practicing the whole thing. So you know now. So do forgive me when you hear me say Sunday. I'm saying it by faith, looking forward into, into the future. All right. So, so church is not a place where we just come to hang out. It's not a place where we just come because there's something we want to do on a Friday. It's quite quiet in Dubai in the morning. And um, we want to get up to something and keep ourselves busy. Church is not somewhere where just because I'm lonely, I want to just be among people I can talk to because when I'm in my house, it's just the walls of the rooms that I can talk to and nobody else. Church is more than that. The church is a family of God, is the people of God that he's brought together and he's knitted their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrected King, Jesus Christ, who has overcome the principalities and powers and made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them on the cross so that he might raise up a community of brothers and sisters who love one another. And that when we come together like this, our gathering today is not out of convenience or out of the fact that this was the only thing we could do on a Friday or because we're doing anyone favor to come and serve and do what we are doing. The church is a family. You are knitted together with the people that you are sitting with. You are a family together. Let me tell you this. Jesus loves his church, and he's beautifying his bride. He cares so much about his church. Whatever I say that is bad against the church, I'm saying to him, that's why, that's why Paul, as, before he became Paul, he was Saul, and he's speaking, and he's persecuting believers, and he thinks he's just persecuting believers, but God is saying, why are you persecuting me? God will always identify with the church because he loves the church, and he cares for the church, and he will never settle for just a company of people who hang out on a Friday. He will settle for a family. We love one another from the heart, deep in our hearts, that we know we come from different backgrounds, but we are connected together by one God. So that's why he's going, because he knows that there's no other family than this family. The other thing he, he knows is that this is a place of worship. Jerusalem was the pinnacle. Jerusalem was a place where your sins will be atoned for. There was no other place where your sins could be atoned for. You could worship as he was. We'll see and look at that later. You could worship, you could do all other things. But when it comes to your sins being atoned for, the of Jerusalem was that place. Why? Because it had a temple. And that temple had already been destroyed. And imagine when you are living in your life knowing that my sins cannot be atoned for. And he's saying, I need to go back to a place of worship again. I need to go back to the heart 
of worship again. I wonder how you felt this morning coming to the church in the morning and really from the heart celebrating the grace and the love and the peace of God from the heart. It's overwhelming. It's welling up. And you are coming. You are telling Jesus that he is the greatest power and there's no other power. He's the greatest authority. There's no other authority. He's the greatest king. There's no other king. And that is the place of worship where your hearts are knitted with one another and knitted with God where there is an incredible connection between heaven and earth because the, the power of heaven has come down here on earth. And worship, is well, that's what it is. And let me say this, it's not about singing songs this morning. It's about connecting from the heart with the living God. It's about the Spirit of God coming and making Himself real in your life for the first time. Where you say, how did I live my life all this time, having not known God? I think I know Him in my mind, but now I know Him in my heart. Because He's revealed Himself to me, and He is the King, the Lord, and the Savior of my life. And forever I'll serve Him and worship Him. That's why he wanted to go back. And that's why we need to go back to the heart of worship again. You need to celebrate like this guy. The church is a worshiping people. Let me ask you, are you a worshiping people? Do you love God from the heart? Does worship mean something to you? It's not just about singing songs. Let's come back to the heart of worship. Let me call you again as a church. Let's come back to God. Let's come back to God. God wants his church back. Where has the church been? We're going to miss Tanya. When it comes to worship, Tanya, we will miss you. Apli, your dancing and your freedom in God together. The craziness that you bring to this church. It's unrivaled, but we're going to miss it. Because worship is important, and I love the way they worship. Well, you know what? He also was missing a place where transformation of all nations take place. Jerusalem wasn't just established to be a place where the Jews can brag about having the best temple or an incredible city that has beautiful walls. Jerusalem was a place where the nations of the world will hold on to a Jew and say, we want to go where you worship. Because when we go there, that's where transformation is going to happen. Our hearts are going to be redeemed. Our hearts are going to be changed. God is going to come. He's going to encounter you as a, a pagan, as a Gentile, having worshipped other gods. And you realize when you come to Jerusalem that those gods are idols. They're worth nothing. There's only one and true living God that I want to worship. My life is changed from the inside out. And I now worship the living God because he's true, he's real, he's revealing himself to me. Where does that happen in Jerusalem? A city set up on the hill cannot be hidden. City hill. That's who you meant to be. Why would he not want to go back? And I'm not asking you to go back to your homes. <laughs> Talk about that later. I'm asking you to go back to your heart for the church of God. Just restore it. Just ask God to restore your heart for the church. He loves it. Does he have mistakes? Does he make mistakes? Does he have faults? Does he fall short sometimes? These guys were in exile. They worshipped other gods. They make tons of mistakes. They had abandoned God. But let me tell you, deep in God's heart, 
he still loved them. And that's why he will speak to every king and every authority and say, release my people, set them free so that they might worship me. The church has tons of mistakes. And uh, that's why they say the church would have been perfect without a people. But actually, the church is nothing. It's not a church without a people. Will you get hurt? Yes, you will. Will people speak out of terms sometimes? Yes, they will. Will people hurt you and upset you? Yes, they will. But God has put you in the church, not just to have a happy time, but so that your life will be cleansed and sanctified. And even the challenges that you experience in the church are building you up. They're not supposed to destroy. They're supposed to build you up so that you're, when you come before God, you'll be pure and spotless. You'll be beautiful, shining in every way. And who am I referring to? Not an individual, the church. That's what God is doing. I have not started my message. That was an introduction. <laughs> now, what I want to talk to you about is what Nehemiah seems to be doing, which is praying and inspecting the walls. He prays and he inspects. He prays and he prays in the whole of chapter 1. What's he doing? Praying. He prays, he prays, he prays. A hundred days of prayer before he could do anything. But he doesn't just pray, he's praying and he's very strategic as well. Sometimes we can look at prayer and treat prayer as almost the one thing that holds us to a pause and make us static so that we don't fulfill the promises of God. Oh no, I prayed about it. What are you doing? No, 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 just prayed about it. Yeah, yeah, but after prayer, what have you done? I'm just praying about it. But hey, God wants us to pray and inspect. There's, you know, Nehemiah is praying. He, he prays not only in chapter 1, even in chapter 2, the king says, what do you want? He says, I need to go and pray about it first. He prays, and then he goes later and he inspects. And let's look at praying. As Charles Spurgeon says, he says, it is a good fall when a man falls on his knees. And let me say this. Do you fall on your knees? Do you, sit, do you sit on your chair that uh, Joel was speaking about on Friday, last Friday? Go back to your chair again. The answers that you are looking for lie there in, in that chair where you pray. But if you fall or fail to fall on your knees before God, I believe you'll fall in other ways. If we can't fall on our knees begging God, deep in our heart, and prayer is, on, is peripheral in our lives, it's not centered around God, we'll fall in other ways. Why? Because prayer means connecting with God, coming to God, and having an incredible encounter with Him. And our relationship with God, the connection between heaven and earth, being so strong. Do you pray? I just want to challenge you. How is your prayer life? Is there no time? Let's make this a priority. Can I speak to husbands here? How often do you pray for your family? How often do you gather the family together and say, we have this thing now, and I'm not, and I cannot overcome this by my own strength, 
but I have the one, the greatest husband of all, who is going to be able to do this. Come together. Let's pray together. How often do you pray with your family? Let's pray a prayer in church. A Friday morning when we come. Why don't you join us for prayer in the morning? Why don't you get ready to heat up the room and the atmosphere with prayer? I find when we pray, things just cannot fall into place. Because God is going before us in doing things for us that he himself has already preordained. And prayer is not to unlock God. God is already unlocked. He has unlocked himself for us. He's made himself available for us. But prayer is a connection and a relationship that's always been there, but has been ignored for a long time. Is now coming back to our first love and saying, God, we love you. And this is a demonstration that we love you, that we want to connect with you and spend time with you. And Nehemiah does the same thing. He goes to back to God. He says, there is no one else I'd much rather speak to in my circumstances in my situation right now than you, Lord. Without you, it's impossible for me to do anything I want to do right now. Without you, this situation cannot be resolved, but I come to you because I know with you, nothing is impossible. And he comes to tell God that. But he doesn't just pray. A couple of things. Praying and working. Praying and working, serving. He pr- he's a man of prayer, but somehow he seems to be working and serving this pagan king as he prays. And realize that people who pray, when they pray, their attitude towards work is very different. What is work to you? What does work mean for you? When you wake up in the morning on a Sunday, I got that right, on a Sunday morning and you go to work, what does that mean for you? Is work just paying the bills? Is work to you a burden? Is work for you and to you just a means by which you, be, you can get comfortable in life and get what you've always wanted to get, the new iPhone or get the latest or to go to and live in the, the nicest villa in Dubai or to buy the latest Tesla in Dubai. Is that what work is about for you? Is work for your own comfort? Or is work just helping you because you are so bored, you have nothing to do now and you choose to work? Is it just those things? If it is, You will struggle in your life when you hit rock bottom and things are happening because your motivation is something else and your life is not soaked in prayer that when you hit rock bottom, all of a sudden you experience injustice at work, you will struggle. You'll experience depression. You will go into some kind of deep, deep depression in your life because you've not really worked out what work is for. Work is not a burden or should not be a burden. Work was created by God. God himself worked. The Bible tells us in Genesis that God, he created the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them, which means God, everything you see around, God was working really hard to make sure that what you see around was created. And not only did he create everything, he rested. And then sin came into the world. But before then, God entrusted the work of the kingdom of God to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to increase. He entrusted that to you. And he said, I have worked. 
go and work. Work was a blessing from God, but the fall came and work became a burden. Work became something that we really work hard to try and do. It's impossible. We hate to wake up in the morning and it's just a drag getting out of bed. Emily? You saw it early in the morning. I love that. <laughs> but work is not meant to be like that. It's not meant to be a drag. God created it, sin marred it, and God is redeeming work again. So that when you go to work and you do your work, you have the motivation, you have the vision, and you have the, the heart for what God wants to do. And the work has been used by God for human flourishing. So that all of us here in this world can flourish in whatever we do. But of course, because of the fall, you will have a boss who is overbearing. You will have the situation that's dangerous that you're working under. You will have all kinds of things. But let me say this. That's not God's heart for work. And God wants to use you in that place of influence, wherever he's placed you, like he's placed Nahamai, so that you, in whatever area you are finding yourself in, you change the atmosphere of where you are working. You are a person of a different spirit because you have a different vision, a different outlook of life. You know why you are doing what you are doing. And God is using you to change the atmosphere at work, to not just say, that's my boss's responsibility, but to do what the kingdom of God will have you do as an image bearer of God who comes into the workplace to bring about flourishing. And then on a, on a Thursday night when you switch off the lights in your office and you go and you look at everything you've done, you can say, I'm about to rest. It is good. Like God said, it is good. Do you do that? Is that your attitude? The only way that that can be a possibility is when you soak yourself in prayer. Where Nehemiah is soaking himself in prayer, it redefines everything. He doesn't just say, I'm in Dubai, I'm supposed to be in my home country, I'm supposed to be serving the king of kings, I'm in Dubai and I'm serving this guy, he doesn't deserve my service. Nehemiah is a man of influence. And wherever he, God places him, he is a man who the king can look at him and say, I've never seen this face before. There must be something wrong. There's something wrong with you because you don't always have a, bad, a face like this. Why? Because his attitude is always amazing. He's the one who says to everyone, come on, let's do this. We can do it. And this time, because he has a burden for the church of God, all of a sudden, we can see there's something wrong here. He's not the kind of guy you'll always know there's something wrong because he's always got a face, and it's only when he's won the lottery you can see, oh, there's something wrong. What? There's something right about you. What's happened? I've had the good news, you know. I've just won the lottery. Now it's the other way around. What is your attitude towards work? And for as long as work is seen as a burden, as something that only just pays the bills and gives you comfort and pays for your pension and does all these things for our own comfort and is inward looking, it's not for human flourishing, work will always be a burden to you. God wants to redeem your workplace and he's put you there to be a light in that place. Wherever you are, God wants to speak to you. Just when I highlight a few people, it's not been easy over the last while. Dr. Millie, 
<laughs> I have I have the ability to spot people in the room who <laughs> I just want to pray for you. Last few months, I know it's not been easy. I want to pray that God's power will come and He will give you peace. We've been praying. I just want to pray. Can you just, those around, can you just lay hands on her? Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray today that Lord, her heart is to glorify you at work. We know that the situation, because of the fall, it has become hard. But you have the power to unlock situations such as she finds herself. And I pray today for your power to come and reign over her right now. And in her circumstance, the Lord, she will see the power of God to change the circumstance. I pray for peace. I pray for joy. I pray for strength. I pray today, Lord, that she will always be salt and light in that workplace. We bless her and we pray unlock everything that's been locked in her workplace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Andrew Westerman. Can you lay hands on Andrew? I believe this is for a new season, Andrew. I believe that with all my heart. He worked in another country I can't mention now, and it was toil. That's what it was. God is going to bring your mourning into dancing. I believe that with all my heart. I'm praying for that today. As you go on your holiday, enjoy your holiday. When you come back, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God will change your circumstance. Your situation will be different once and for all. You are a man of influence. God has put you there for such a time as this. You are an Esther. And God is going to amplify your voice. And many who have shrugged you off are going to listen to you. And you are going to represent Christ in your workplace. And God is going to open many doors and the kingdom of God is going to come in this city through your work and I bless you and I pray the grace of God to come upon you. Lord, bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Kenneth, let's pray for you. Father, I thank you for Kenneth. <sighs> Sitting in Nero talking about your situation right now. I know it's not been easy. It's been tough. But we serve a God who is amazing. So, so I want to say this. It's not been easy, and I know that. But I pray for the power of God to come in your life, in your circumstances, to change things. I pray right now that, Lord, your spirit will break every hindrance in his life. And, Lord, he will have an incredible opportunity in his workplace to bear fruit and to flourish in every way. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Praying and asking. So serving and asking, praying and asking God. Nehemiah doesn't just pray. When the king recognizes that there's something wrong with this man, and now he begins to talk to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, having just prayed, he makes some incredible requests to the king. Remember what the king wanted? The king wanted Nehemiah to come to him and to tell him that he was going to go to Jerusalem and come back soon. What does Nehemiah do? He asks, some of the big asks. He says, I know the king was asking me to give him an answer about when I was going to come back because he wanted me to go and come back. But when he comes to the king, this is what he asks. He says, king, 
I know you were interested what's bothering me right now. Yes. And uh, you want to know? Yes. You, uh, let me tell you what's, what, what I would love now. I want the king to release me and not give me any deadline for when I should come back. This is too big to ask. He's a cupbearer. Remember? If he moves an inch, the king dies. But he comes and asks the big ass. And that is, king, I need from your nation an entourage. People who are going to escort me. I need security. Imagine Nehemiah. He's a cupbearer. But all of a sudden, you see good old Nehemiah, the cupbearer, with this entourage of the army of, of, uh, of Syria. And not only that, he, he also has the patience. He also he has the, motor, the motorcade of, of, of the king, a presidential motorcade. He's, all, he's asking for it. He's like, king, you know what? That car, only you is called the beast. Only you, only you use it. So I'm going to Donald Trump, right? Sorry, this is not for political reasons. But uh, the beast is a, is a pretty, the car that uh, the, king, uh, the, the president king uh, uses in, the, in, in, in America. It's like, ask him for that. The guy who's in the kitchen, ask him for that. He's an influential guy, but he, he asks, he says, I want your motorcade. I want all the guys who are guarding you to guard me, to come with me when I go. And then he... Imagine it. He, he lowers the, the window, and everyone's like, Who's in there? And when they look, they think it's Atazazus. It's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the motorcade. It's taking him to Jerusalem. This is unbelievable. Why? Because Nehemiah asked some ridiculous things of the king. Not, not only that, he says, King, I know the some problems along the way. You know what? I was asking, can you give me a letter of permission that, so that everywhere I go, when they see me, they see you and they make way. So I'll just go. So they, he goes, a letter, and uh, everyone says, is he supposed to be here? Here's a letter signed with a signature ring of the king. Oh, now he has access. He can just go without anyone stopping him. That's why he has the security. <laughs> you think that's enough, right? And he asked the whole country, he says, King, I know your investments are looking good at the moment, but I want you to not only help me to go back, but I want your money to go and build the house of the Lord. You, with your money, don't need to go and ask the people of God to build with, this, with their money. I want your investment. Go and get your timber and everything, and I want you to invest in me building the country. My question to you is that, who are you asking? Which king are you asking? And how do you ask your king? If you think the king of kings is small, you will ask small ass. <laughs> but if you think your king is big, you'll ask big ass. And, uh, and are you asking big ass? Have you ever done it? City Hill? What are you asking for? That's what the king says. What would you like me to do for you? And Jesus says that to Bartimaeus, isn't it? He says, Bartimaeus, what would you like me to do for you? If he didn't think that Jesus was quite big and powerful, he wouldn't ask Jesus, I want to see. He would ask Jesus, uh, um, I was wondering, maybe you can help me pay my bills. No, 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 no. 
This guy is something that he's never experienced before, which is sight, and he's asking Jesus, I want to see right now. I'm asking you the impossible. Only if you believe God is the God of the impossible, and he's big, that you'll ask big. And uh, J.B. Phillips in his book, your God is too small. If your God is small, ask small things. But if he's big, can I ask you to ask for the impossible? If you are sitting next to your wife as a husband, or next to your husband as a wife, why don't you hold her, oh, his hand? If you are single, close your hand like this, like you're holding. Thank you. Emily? By faith, yeah? <laughs> I want to pray that God will give you the vision to ask big things today. There have been a lot of impossibilities in your lives, but God is bigger than the impossibilities. And uh, for you single people, I don't know what you're asking for. I'm, I'm assuming one of them is what Frank embarrassed me about a few weeks ago. But... Uh, no pressure, but I want us to ask big things now. Just close your eyes, deep in your heart, ask God. Don't get embarrassed, ask God. Ask God for the big things in your life. Just ask Him. Father, I pray. In the name of Jesus, that every man, every woman here, whether it's a prayer and a big ask over their family, or a big ask over City Hill, a big ask over their personal life, Lord, I say yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Let's applaud Jesus. The next thing is he's praying and he's taking risks as well. Nehemiah doesn't just pray. He prays and he takes massive risks. Do you notice that? He is praying and he's asking, and he's, he's taking huge risks. The problem is prayer is not supposed to make us lazy. Prayer is supposed to make us even more active. The problem is we say that if we don't want to step out, we say, I've been praying a lot. No, pray and step out. Nehemiah doesn't just pray. He prays and he goes across. And I just want to say this. Let your prayer be seen by the faith of stepping out of the boat and say, perhaps the Lord will come through. Like Jonathan and the Amabera in 1 Samuel 13 and 14, where he says, we are going to go there and challenge them. Um, Nehemiah, have you consulted? Perhaps the Lord is going to come. I'm taking a step of faith. And I just want to say, this, do not just sit in your closet. Come out and take a step of faith and see what God does. It's like the people of God, when the Spirit had just come in Jerusalem, they were praying and they were seeing miracles, signs and wonders. They were speaking in tongues. The power of God was over their lives. But actually what they did was, um, Jesus said we must wait, so we're going to wait in Jerusalem. No, 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 the Spirit has come upon him. No, he said we must wait. No, no, the Spirit has come upon him. No, 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 he said, but remember the instructions of Jesus. You've got to obey. He said we must, yeah, but this, he said you should wait for the Spirit. Now when the Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses. What are you doing? What about the second part of it? And then it took persecution for them to step out. Let's take massive risks for God. If your God is big, Take massive risks. 
inspect a wall even when you know, how, how can I build this wall? Look at me. It's just me. Step out in God. Are you stepping out? The second part of it is not just praying, but it's inspecting. He's inspecting and he's expecting. Because of time, I feel like I should cut my message. Because... Let me ask you a question. As you look at the faithfulness of God, as you look at your life right now, have you ever done an inspection? Have you ever re-looked at your life? What are the walls that are lying in ruins in your life? Have you taken time to do an, an inspection? What walls are still standing in your life? Is your faith still standing? Oh, there are some walls that are broken. They need to be redone but you've neglected them. What about bad habits? What about sin that needs uprooting? God wants to deal with bad habits, uprooting every root of sin, move you from despair to hope, when the, the wall of hope has been broken, lostness, he wants to draw you close to him. Let him do an inspection. But not only that, expect great things for God, in God. Let me tell you about the church and progress of Christianity right now, calling us. Radical evangelism in the next decade. To see in our cities and our towns around the world, people become followers of Christ like never before. And if the stats were to come out about Dubai and there was, someone was to come and inspect our wall here, what would they find? Let's be expectant for God to do ridiculous things in Dubai in our lives. And I believe that, that the, the kingdom of God shall advance in this city and change this place. Because the God of the heavens will give us success in this place. That's what we need to believe in. We need to believe for success in this place while we are here today, so that in 10 years' time, when they ask you, tell me, you lived in Dubai around 2019, what was happening then? For you to say, when we lived in Dubai, Christianity was expounding. It was growing like nothing else. Let's write history together. Let's stand, no, not now, let's stand in God <laughs> and let's be on a front foot. William Carey says, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. I've asked God to help me to build the city. I'm going there expectant that God, as I inspect the wall, he will come through and he'll build an incredible city of Jerusalem. Inspecting and envisioning. Vision is important when you have nothing else but a rubble in front of you. You need vision. And, as, and Nehemiah is a man of vision that he doesn't just see the, the walls. In his mind, he sees the walls raised up. And he sees what is about to happen. And when he communicates and shares his vision to everyone around him, they say, yes, we can do it. Why? Because he's a man of vision. Are you a person of vision? 
And I believe that God wants us to be a people of vision. God has put a big vision in our hearts. And I want us to begin to dream. Have you ever noticed sometimes how vision gets attacked? <laughs> I experience that a lot. I can come here and share and say, hey guys, we're going to impact the city. God said this and that. And then after the preach, you know what happens? Someone comes. I just want to tell you I've just lost my job. And then someone is, I'm ill now. And nothing seems to be working. And then someone is, I just want to tell you I'm leaving Dubai. Vision is very fragile. And is God the Sambalat, the Tobiah, and Geshem standing there and say, you will never pass. You can never do it. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. Nehemiah, as he was sharing vision, there was this background noise that was saying it's impossible. It's very fragile. But when you believe that God is not a liar, you know he will fulfill it. And lastly, inspecting and overcoming opposition. There was opposition because all these guys were saying, you cannot build the wall. You cannot. It's impossible for you to build it. And he says, you have no part in it, opposition. You have no role in it. The God of the heavens will give us success. Whether you like it or not, get away from me, Satan. And sometimes I feel when we experience opposition, we, we give up. We give in. Sometimes we are cowards in the face of opposition. And God wants to say, why don't you speak the words that I've given you? Like Jesus standing like this and the enemy is saying, you know, you worship me. I'll give you this city. He says, it is written. And he says, it is written. The word of God. I'm speaking the word of God to you now. I'm challenging you. Get away from me. And sometimes we live in this place of despair. Shame, poor old me. Look at me. I'm burdened. I'm sick. I'm, I have finance problem. I have this. I understand that. But rise up, the people of God, and believe God. I'm not saying it's, it's mind over matter, or you just have to pretend that you don't have problems or issues. But I'm saying, believe God for what he said, because God is faithful in every way. Please. Let's believe God in this. What, what, what are some of the some ballads and toys? Is it fear? Is it fear gripping into your life, into your marriage, into your future, into everything around you? Fear, go right now in the name of Jesus. And uh, because the people of God paused their mission for 40 years and they were bringing doubts onto one another, challenging Moses about the vision that God had given him to take them to the promised land. Do you know why? Because they had called feet. Let's not be dominated by fear. What about lack of faith in trusting God? What about gossip? Gossip can undermine. Oh, he said that. Oh, he said about this leader, that one. Oh, no, it's coming out. It's becoming such a big thing. And before you know it, the enemy just came in while we're looking at one another as enemies. And uh, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem are now running the wall. They say, okay, we destroy these walls. What do you believe about the person that's standing or sitting next to you? Do you believe the best? Believe you fight for unity? The enemy sometimes takes time before he can undermine us. And he takes a long time. But we don't end the message with the enemy. 
We end the message with Jesus Christ, the greatest Nehemiah, the greatest city builder that he left not a city like Nehemiah left. He left the city of God, the heavenly city, and he came down. He left the comfortable and familiar, and he came down to face the cross, and he embraced through his incarnation, he embraced the people such as us. Jesus Christ is the, the great Nehemiah who left, not the, the kind of the, the earthly king, he left the heavenly kingdom so that he might come and be with us here on earth. Jesus Christ, as the great Nehemiah, did not just build a human city with walls. He built the great heavenly city, Jerusalem, a city without walls. And that city consists of a people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation on the face of the earth. That's who we are worshiping. That's who we are serving today. Like Nehemiah, Jesus faced opposition and he set his mind and his heart to Jerusalem, knowing that as I face the cross right now, I will overcome and a victory will be my people's victory. And today I'll stand and say it is finished and it was finished. Opposition was completely done away with and we stand today victorious because of what Jesus has done in our lives today. As you pray, as you seek God, as you do everything, know that this book is not about a guy thousands of years ago who was trying and working hard to see what he could do. This was a book about Jesus Christ. The Bible, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And unless we exalt and see everything through the eyes of Jesus Christ, we'll always face opposition and it will completely destroy us. But Christ has done it. On our behalf, it is finished. As we build this city, as we build City Hill, let's build by faith. Let's believe God for great things. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.